My fellow Americans, are you tired of the new normal? Are you tired of the lies? Election fraud. You know the thing that the mainstream media and big tech says doesn't exist? It is time to end it. We must keep going. If you can't fly, run. If you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl. But by all means, keep moving. Many of you are sitting here because you're wanting to know what the plan is. This has to be peaceful. We have the right to peacefully assemble. The solution has been in front of us all along. Ask God if you should step into the gap and become a part of the plan. The plan is simple. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. We are the plan. If you're waiting for others to do the work for you, you're going to be waiting a long time. We are Conservative Daily. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining us again on Conservative Daily. Uh, we have a really cool show for you, and it looks like all of our live streams are working, so if they are trying to censor us, it might just be on one, uh, which is DLive. I'm not sure why DLive is not live, so apologies if you're trying to uh, jump on there. Uh, we'll see you over on Rumble if that is the case. We're on conservative-daily.com. Uh, but, uh, again, we have a really amazing guest tonight i've listened to some of her other interviews uh her name is and i i'm i should have asked her before i started this elizabeth rogliani i'm gonna maybe i completely butchered that we'll see in a moment uh but she uh she's written a book and i'm gonna i'm going to encourage all of you to read this book uh, it's how progressivism destroyed venezuela a cautionary tale uh, I just got it this afternoon, actually, uh, and I, I started to read uh, some of it, and I look forward to finishing it. But uh, I know that she's been uh, doing a lot lately, so I don't want to waste any time. Uh, Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. How did I do on your name? Thank you for having me. You you said it correctly. Ah, thank goodness. Yeah. I realized I meant to ask you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there have been people that have butchered it in the past, but you did not. Oh, perfect. All right. My conscience yeah. is clear so far. Yes. I mean, you said you had a Greek background. And Greeks yes. tend to do well with that name because it's an Italian name. It, it sounds like it. And I know, uh, so you were born in Venezuela, but mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're not, uh, your parents uh, emigrated there, correct? Yeah. Well, my great-grandparents emigrated from both Italy and Spain. Uh, so my Spanish side is mostly Basque. Uh, which, you know, the Basque would say is not Spanish because um, <laughs> they're a thing of, of their own. And then my Italian side is from the north of Italy. Awesome. Like Liguria area. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Very good. Okay. Um, but yes. so what you, uh, you, you wrote this book and first of all, just I didn't get a chance to read all of it, unfortunately, but I'm going to. And once I do, I okay. probably would like to have you on again. Uh, but Great. very, it's very well written. What I what I got through you, uh, oh, very you. very articulate, mm -hmm. and uh, I really do encourage everyone to read it so far. But you talk about some things that I I believe are very important, and I know uh, this audience is not uh, is not foreign to any of them. Uh, but specifically, mm -hmm. you know, you saw a lot of what uh, occurred in Venezuela under the yeah. communist regime and the decline of that society. 
uh, and sort of this rise of uh, of criminality and corruption, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in what was once a, a very prosperous uh, country. Uh, yeah. And and now we're seeing a lot of those same calls here in the United States. People espousing this, uh, you know, these communist ideals, saying that they're uh, a cure-all for all of our problems. Very anti-American rhetoric. Uh, we see all these parallels with uh, what's going on in our education systems. And uh, so, you know, I, I'm really, really uh, glad that we were able to connect with you and have you on. So sure. I want to give you the floor, first of all, uh, and just give you a few minutes. Tell us a little bit uh, about the book and, and what led you to write it. Well, uh, I honestly never anticipated writing a book about my experience there or the politics there. Uh, it was sort of a universal experience for anyone my age uh, and with my background. Obviously, people experience it in different levels. Um, I was fortunate enough to never, never lack of anything. But at the same time, the country did get very dangerous for everyone. So the, we did all experience it, and politics was something that we all talked talk on a really, because it became such a polarizing thing and uh, a priority for, for every young person in the nation and really any adults. I kind of like how it is now here. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, I was led to write it because in 2020, there are all these riots going on. Taking down these statues of Columbus. Oh, uh, hold on one second, Elizabeth. Just uh, go back sure. a few. You're, you froze for a second. So in 2020, sure. there are all the riots. Just start there. So in 2020, there were, there were all the riots. And I saw uh, similar similarities to Venezuela. There was like this blame against the people that settled the country, the you know the Spanish, the Europeans, etc., and so they they started knocking down the statues of um, Columbus and of uh, the Los Proceres, which I, I wouldn't know how to tell you what they are, but they're essentially uh, Western symbols. Uh, so those were being knocked down one after the other, and that really reminded me of you know. What was going on here reminded me of what happened there when I was really young. So I just made a little video telling people about it. I didn't really expect it to get anywhere. I just was airing out my frustration and the similarities. And I was telling people, you should always nurture your democracy, you know, what you have, because many times people take it for granted and then they lose them. Uh, And so the video went viral. I don't even know how, uh, and somehow ended up on Fox News talking about it and talking about what Cuomo was saying at the time. And then History of Books, this small publisher, contacted me and asked me to write a book about it. So I did, and, and it really kind of helped me also solidify my beliefs. Because I also, not only did I draw from my own experience, but I talked to my friends, my family members, I did a lot of research. And yeah, that's sort of what led me here to this point where I am now and to the book 
being written. I was a little nervous though because that was my first book. I didn't know how to do it, so I'm glad that you think <laughs> it's you know it's good so far. Yeah, absolutely. So, and actually, you said an important thing that I, I want to ask you about before we jump into some more sure. details. Uh, you know, from mm -hmm. some of those experiences, but you said that it led you to solidify your beliefs and to help you to do that. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to, uh, and you know, you, you can get as, as little or, or as much personal as you'd like, but yeah. I think that's really, really important because now what we see in this country is a lot of these people who are, you know, they espouse a lot of these ideologies and they have a lot of these same symptoms which i think probably parallel what you saw which is people trying to scapegoat they're dividing people based on things that might not be accurate and i don't know that they yeah. actually know what it is that they stand for or what they're what they're asking for so if you just like w when you say solidify your beliefs what what does that mean exactly i think most people socialism and this idea of but they're not really practical in their beliefs. They don't really see the day-to-day, -day, the, the fact that everyone in this world has different abilities. Um, and how, and, and then they also kind of have this naivete around them, about them, which I see in some of my friends as well. It's that everyone is good, that no one will take advantage of their position. And that is absolutely false. Uh, a, a lot of the times that power corrupts, people that start with good intention end up sort of uh, justifying to themselves, well, maybe if I cut a little bit of a corner here, or maybe a little bit here, this that I'm doing will help all of these people. Uh, and so they kind of continue to justify the, the, the damage that they're doing because they think it's for the greater good. It solidified my belief because Yes, I grew up around this and I did study politics in college and uh, but then for a while kind of, you know, distanced myself from it because I was frankly tired of having to argue with people and to uh, discuss uh, Venezuela and what happened there and for people to look at me and say, I'm sorry, you know, but and then kind of pity me in a way. I did not like that. Um, but then I started doing these months of intense research and talking to people and, and really like I, I was able to grasp more fully what it was that happened. And it wasn't just this switch that happened in 1998 when Chavez won the election. It was all these progressive policies that were put in place before then um, that led to that moment in time. It was an important moment, but yes, the, the things that happened that I suspected were part of the problem were in fact part of the problem. So it really did con uh, solidify my conservative position because I have always been conservative, conservative, but I have thought maybe these progressive policies are not as bad, maybe this and that, but the slippery slope is really a real thing. Definitely. Well said. And, you know, I think uh, and I want to ask you next about what Venezuela was like before that, because I think sure. reminiscent of a lot of the things that you just mentioned, people have this idea that it can't happen here. And I think that yeah. that is probably what they thought in Venezuela as well. But um, 
when mm. we talk about Venezuela before, I mean, when it was, you know, before a lot of this occurred, they had, uh, you know, a reverence for some of these European ideologies and what I think we would call libertarianism now. So can you just explain a little bit to, to people what Venezuela was like? And uh, I know you wrote about that in your book. I, I, I yeah. saw some of that in what I did read. Okay. Uh, so, of course, I only... I grew up in the 90s. Well, I was born in, in the 90s. So my conscious observance started really in that. So a lot of what I know of how it was, was just asking my family members and also the shift of what was going on in my early childhood versus my adolescence, etc. cetera. Uh, I know it was a lot more dangerous later on. Because I specifically remember when the when the the bigger kidnappings and the 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 murder started to happen, and I know it sounds a little bit intense to be saying this or aggressive, but I do remember there was a shift when I, I was around seventh grade, where I would be horrified at some points about anyone getting kidnapped. But then it started to be commonplace after a while. And, that, and also um, the, the freedom of the press was something that I really didn't consider until something really big happened. I think it was 2004, one of those years. Um, essentially, one of our TV stations that had been around for 50 years it was a staple TV station. It's called RCTV. Everyone knew the song, the theme song to it. I even remember it now, and I'm not going to sing it though, but I remember it now. <laughs> uh, the, TV the, the TV station got shut down because they dared show a, a reality that was going on that Hugo Chavez wanted to, to uh, shut down. There was a huge protest and i believe it was 2002 see this is why i wanted like to the specifics i'm starting to forget but april 2002 i believe again i was very young at, at the time but i still remember the feeling and this protest was more opposition of the government demanding that he resign and the, the protest turned bad and people started getting shots and the story is that he sent in, he wanted to send in the military to stop the protesters. The military refused because they thought that could turn bad if, you know, that could turn really violent and there would be a lot of casualties. So then the second line of people that were kind of under the, you know, under the ropes were sent and started shooting at the protesters. The story got spun and then they said it was the protesters shooting at houses and at his own supporters, etc. At that moment when it was all going on, he went on TV so the news stations could not show actually being this thing that we called cadenas, which was a chain. He would just stalk. He did like a, his little own show whenever he wanted on any national news station. And all news stations were required to put him on there. Well, this, what this uh, channel did was split the screen in two, talking about how things were perfectly fine, and then what was actually happening on the streets. 
And after that, they got in trouble and they, he finally decided to cut their contract or not renew it. Um, there are a lot of excuses were cited, but it was essentially that. And I remember 11.59 p.m. when everyone was watching RCTV. Everyone was saying goodbye to their fa favorite actors, their producers, their writers on TV. They were showing the highlights. Of and we all stayed up late to watch it. I was in high school, in early high school, I think. And suddenly the screen goes dark. And it's a new station, which is his own government channel, TV. And that was kind of shocking for me. That was kind of, I think, the time where a lot of people met. Uh, adults, you know, where our innocence was taken away when we saw one of our favorite TV stations just disappear. Well, moment. and we see the same thing happening in this country now. I mean, since, especially since uh, what I think, uh, I mean, I will confidently say, and I believe a lot of our viewers too, the stolen election of 2020. Uh, and yeah, I, mean, I believe it too, trust me. Oh, preach. Let me see if this okay, is you get a pass. You officially get a pass. Uh, is this better or yeah yeah that's that, great okay that's great yeah, yeah. I, the light was a little bit dark okay no you look great don't worry yeah i oh. I, I definitely believe it was stolen <laughs> like 100 percent. well and no it's the same thing now how can how can you and the only reason that i think we still have yeah. so many people is i think the same kind of propaganda uh, which i i think is what i'll what i'd ask you about next about uh you yeah. know number one anyone who disagrees with the official narrative Anyone who, uh, you know, who wants the government off their back, who wants to respect the values on which this country was founded in the Constitution, they're labeled as an extremist. They're the enemy. We see all kinds of divisive rhetoric about, you know, the rich are oppressing the poor. The, uh, the right or the enemies of the current regime are, uh, are somehow hurting the rest of Americans. We saw it with COVID. Did you say, see the same kind of things uh, in Venezuela? Uh, yes, obviously not exactly the same. There's some things here that are new to me, um, like the whole gender conversation. Um, but I definitely saw the the rich versus the poor. We had names, uh, the esqualidos or la, 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 the bourgeoisie, which the bourgeoisie is really the middle class. It's not really the rich, but I digress. Um, there was the the col colonialists and the against the but uh, I remember talking about the fact that one other founder went to Venezuela years ago and you know spoke to the Venezuelan public and to the politicians and said that it was time for the indigenous and for the black folk to take over and that the colonialists and the Westerners needed to be away. And he, she was speaking specifically to the Venezuelan public and to some political figures. <laughs> so yes, that, that was that was interesting. But there was for sure a kind of uh, rhetoric to divide the public, rich against the poor. And because of that also, there was kind of like this justification when the violence started happening. Uh, you know, anyone that was middle class, upper middle class, et cetera, was if 
anything bad happened to them, that was fine. It was kind of justified. People justified it in their minds because the, the president of the nation had an aggressive message against those people. So therefore, a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, people that found themselves in a position where they did not have a job that paid their needs, they found themselves in a position to be able to sort of justify these express kidnappings to themselves. And these, a lot of people that conducted these kidnappings were regular people. It sounds strange, but there were regular people that were trying to make a living and they justified it in their minds. And they thought they were only doing uh, something that would not hurt anyone. It was only temporary. It was only 24 hours. But of course, violence did result with some people here and there. So do yeah. you see parallels with what's going on? I mean, because obviously there are some new dynamics uh, here in this yeah. country. But, I mean, I'll use BLM and Antifa, some of these uh, groups, yeah. which, number one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just list a couple parallels, which I, I think apply, and you can tell me what you sure. think. Number one, uh, they have the same, kind of, the same kind of mentality, where they seem to excuse any behavior, including uh, violence and even uh, yeah. killing yeah. people who are Trump supporters, who are the fascists, whatever that they're labeled. Number two, they are given a pass and have been for the last couple of years by the police and by the authorities. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they seem to be able to, you know, reign free. They get released from jail. Their sentences don't, uh, you know, don't align with what they typically should. We see uh, persecution in the media and demonization of anyone on the on the conservative right here. Um, and it, they they just seem to be given over to this I ideology that uh, because they're the other, because they're not. Uh, you know, in alignment, or they're somehow furthering this uh, this oppression that doesn't align with their communist ideologies and this you know free thing for every for everyone uh, you know uh, direction that they that they want to espouse. That none of it matters. That we're somehow lesser people. Right. Yeah. I mean, the parallels are definitely definitely there. They're not exactly the same as you know you wouldn't expect it to be because the the cultural and social dynamics are a little bit different in both nations. Parallels are there. In fact, we had a group similar to Antifa that you know it, it did get to a point that they were completely armed. Uh, we call them the colectivos, and they were in all parts of society. Of society. They had radio shows. They had program etc and then they had the part that went out into the streets to intimidate people whether it be in protest in rallies or in elections so that similarity i do see with antifa now antifa does not have weapons now they do but that's only for now they do oh yeah well, they, they do I, yeah i actually i ended up in a roundabout way here because i was going out uh with some people to, you know, essentially just go out and stay in the community because they were burning things down and injuring people. And, I mean, now they're all okay. over social media, too. They have uh, AR-15s. They show up with body armor to defend these, uh, you know, drag time uh, story hour events where they, they're pushing this transgender, uh, you know, ideology and some of these some of these things on children. Yeah. And so now they're, they're openly standing up as the, the defense wing of... Of the radical exactly left. that's exactly a perfect parallel to what we had there and so and the weapons go ahead. and all the, the armor they had 
you would wonder where they were coming from because a lot of that stuff was mostly you could only get it if you had some kind of contact with the government. So I'm just going to leave that to speculation because that was never really proven or spoken of, but you could speculate as to how that happened. This episode of Conservative Daily is brought to you by DCF Guns. They're not just a supporter and a partner of the show. They're an organization that is on the front line of promoting safe and responsible gun ownership. Along with being a staunch defender of the Second Amendment, they have a lot of different things inside of their three ranges and stores. So they have a gunsmith at every location. They have the ability to do massive amounts of training, uh, anything from beginners all the way up to uh, competitive shooting. Um, they're also the best gun store in Colorado. Uh, between a mar massive arsenal of top-tier firearms, competitive pricing on ammunition, they're a go-to resource for newcomers and expert shooters alike. Memberships there start for as little as $25 a month and offer an arsenal of benefits beyond that, such as store-wide discounts and special access to training. Even better, what you're seeing right now is DCF Guns also has an e-commerce option, meaning you can take advantage of the awesome prices without leaving your home. Just visit dcfguns.co and start browsing. I do want to tell you that as a listener of conservative-daily.com, you get an additional 5% off everything in the store. You have to use discount code Joe. That's J-O-E. That's discount code Joe. Go to dcfguns.co and use discount code Joe. J-O-E. That's me. Or it's coffee, cup of Joe. Um, but you can go there and save an additional 5% off every single thing on the site. Um, as always, we'll keep the range hot and the deals hotter only at DCF Guns in Castle Rock and Colorado Springs and now online, available to everyone across the entire country. So the next now I want to, you know, because you mentioned the statues earlier, uh, we see the same mm -hmm. trend here where now they want to erase history and they want to tear down. I know we mentioned it a little bit before, but yeah. what, was, what was the the impetus for that? Uh, in Venezuela because it's a it's a really creepy parallel now that it's becoming so commonplace even amongst some of the you know the universities there are official institutions yeah. which are calling for the essentially the removal of anything that goes against the version of history they want us to remember I do want to say that there's I didn't really speak about this too much in the book but academia is a big part of why there was so much leftist, uh, you know, the socialist ideas like seeping into the population. Um, so, as you, you, I imagine you know a little bit about the this war in Spain, the civil war in Spain. Mm -hmm. A lot of people that were left leaning moved to Venezuela and started teaching universities. Because, of course, Franco's government was very much to the right. So a lot of those uh, leftist people left and went into Latin America and started teaching in universities. So that, those conversations started seeping out into these nations, Venezuela being one of the main ones because it was in a really good position to receive these European migrants and also just in a good position, generally speaking. So I do see that happening here. I obviously not necessarily people coming in from a war in Europe, although maybe at, at the time, maybe we've had them for a long time. But yes, academia is a huge part of 
the indoctrination that is happening, not in every sector, not in every university or, te- or professor, but I would say the, the, the majority, it's left-leaning. And that is why so many, including myself, I mean, I, I, I went to a university here in the U.S., and it took me a couple of years to get out of the leftism that they had, like they had instilled in me. Even though I, I fought back in a lot of these concepts, and I remember like arguing with some professors, but in some aspects it was a little bit more subtle, and so it got to me. And now that I've kind of woken up to that stuff, I have lost a lot of my college friends for speaking out against it, and I continue to argue with them. So. So yeah, I do see that parallel. Um, definitely a lot of uh, anti-Western propaganda happening, mm-hmm. anti-European, etc. Which is ironic because uh, how you know higher academia was uh, Western know, European from Europe. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. Um, I do see that happening there, and it's a, here. It's of course in a larger scale. And I think it's been going on for a long, long time to to be able to reach the levels it has reached at this point. Well, and that's a good parallel because I know uh, you touched on it in some of the things that I that I was able to read through. But what happened in mm-hmm. Venezuela it it started before uh, Chavez. Oh yeah. You know, it started it well before did. that, and it's st- it certainly started a long time uh, before now. What we're seeing now did not pop out of nowhere. It's not like exactly. uh, the movements that we see in the all these progressive policies just popped up in 2016. So, can you tell us a little bit about that? And you know, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people think, oh, it, it happens, you know, when, when they say, when they're talking about the United States, it was Obama, it was this. But it, no, you have to look further back than that. They, things started to become really obvious now. Like, they started to become really obvious in the 2000s with Chavez and now Maduro. But, like, things were ha- going on before then. They were, they were greasing the wheels, let's say. One of the things that I always talk about is the immigration policy that was going on in Venezuela. And it is a little bit similar to what you guys have now. Um, not exactly as, because we, of course, like there was not social media in the 60s. There was not, you know, these major uh, networks like the same way. But Venezuela was in a very privileged position in the 50s. And um, there was a president back then that opened his doors to the immigrants coming in from Europe because he wanted like uh, these people that were coming in to build restaurants, build homes, et cetera, et cetera. They, they, he wanted like the, the working class of Europe to come in after their continent had been ravaged. So a lot of Italian families and um, Spanish and Portuguese families moved there. In fact, I had a lot of friends growing up uh, in class that their grandparents were Italian or Portuguese, etc. It was really, really common to have the Portuguese have the little bodegas and the Spanish have the restaurants, the Italians as well. But then they had to come in with like a nation letter from their alderman or their mayor. It was very, it was a very rigorous process, but they were, let's say, being encouraged. After that happened, kind of like this, well, why 
uh, all of these people from over here, we should be inclusive and let more people in. But the problem with that was this inclusivity started being less rigorous. And so anyone was welcome. And so they opened the border for the countries around Venezuela, which you are the same thing as Venezuela, but the things that the people that were coming in were not coming in the same way as the Europeans were coming in. They were coming in without any kind of document documentation. So they were undocumented or illegal, as you want to call them. And they were coming in because they wanted to receive the benefits from the country. They wanted kind of like to, to take, oh, well, they have free health care over there. Yes, we had free health care. We had a lot of free stuff for uh for venezuelans you know it was a smaller country it kind of worked at that point because it was small the population kind of was similar in many ways but then because of all these people coming in suddenly so so we have sponsors that have been with us for a long time this one has definitely been here a long time this is air medcare network today's podcast again sponsored by air medcare network if you live in a rural area that's hard to reach by road if you travel a lot if you even drive a lot, even if you don't drive a lot, this is good fire insurance. If you like to hike or spend time outdoors, you want to make sure your family is protected in a medical emergency. If you ever need to be air medically transported with air med care network, you're covered for as little as $85 a year. Your whole household will be covered in case you ever need to be air medically transported. Uh, simply visit airmedcarenetwork.com slash daily and use promo code daily and you'll receive up to a $50 visa gift card when you sign up today. Now, they also have an Amazon card, but we don't do business with Amazon here on this show. So please do not sign up for this and get the $50 Amazon gift card uh, because that is feeding the beast and we don't feed the beast. So get that $50 um, gift card and sign up. You can go up to, I think the five-year membership is like 300 bucks or something. But uh, so it's even less. So it's $85 a year for your whole family. And then as you go up, it, it, it actually reduces. So airmedcarenetwork.com slash daily and use promo code daily. That started to, there started to be an unbalance. And so the Venezuelans started to have to compete with the children of the, of the Colombian and the Ecuadorian and the Peruvians that were coming in to sort of get these free things. They, the, a lot of the mothers were coming in to birth their children in the, in the hospital so they could get that Venezuelan passport so that mm -hmm. they could then get those benefits. Um, and Caracas, actually, now, if you Google any photos of Caracas, is filled with what in Brazil they call favelas, what we call ranchos, which are like this D DIY houses built with red bricks. Um, they're not very aesthetically pleasing, but they're all around Caracas. <laughs> they're all around Caracas and in all of the, the valleys. And it's not... You know, it's not very nice to look at. Uh, you kind of land in Caracas and drive through them to get to the main city. And that was not there in the 50s. That started happening after all of these immigrants came in and they were looking for jobs, they were looking for all these things. But they were really poor coming from all these surrounding nations with very little qualifications. And so we were taking on the poor of all these other places. And so our... Um, you know, the nation is as strong as its weakest link, correct? So we were kind of like, it. yeah, we were kind of like having to drag them with us, right? I was not born yet, but I'm kind of like read up on it, talked to a lot of people about this. So those, those houses, those little ranchos, 
those little tiny places were not there. They were built after these immigrations were opened the door to be tolerant and to be inclusive and to help all of these immigrants out that were not refugees, that were not running from a war. They were just coming in as economic migrants. Well, um, so I want to going through the process. Yeah. yeah so number one, it, it's it's kind of you know it's it's uh, eerie to hear you describe this, but just everyone listening, I want you to you know, be cognizant of the fact that she's describing to a T what has been happening in the United States. And number one, that I relate very well to some of the things you spoke about, about uh, people who came in uh, previously. My father, you know, I mentioned that I'm Greek. He came here through Ellis yeah. Island. Uh, they had to go through a process to come here, and they had to have documentation. They, they got inspected. You know, uh, I mean, it, it was not at all what... Now we see that we're supposed to uh, say, don't vet anyone. They're coming over through the border. Get rid of border exactly. patrol. Uh, and, you know, we're advertising these people come over here. Uh, we have all these social programs, which uh, not to say that we shouldn't do something for some of these people, but yeah. they're coming over here not because they want to assimilate into society. Uh, they're not doing so very clearly. And... Uh, exactly what you're describing is the trend that the United States is is heading down and it's becoming a massive problem for crime we have rampant mm -hmm. drugs and criminals coming over the border because we're not vetting them because we're allowing this type of uh, migration to happen but we're talking about all of this and I want to ask you about Venezuela as well because the people here they or the, the ones who espouse this stuff and the politicians who say it's all to help migrants, it's humanitarian, we want to just do the best and how selfish you could be if you don't want to let everyone into the American dream. Uh, mm -hmm. In Venezuela, people were going there for what we could call the Venezuelan dream, uh, yeah. if you want to use that comparison, and that soon disappeared. Now we have people who are showing up uh, on American soil. We'll use the, Mar the Martha's Vineyard as one example. They're from <laughs> Venezuela. Yeah. So Venezuela, what happened? Yeah. But the, the politicians, w was it all just good people trying to do good things for, for others? Because a lot of this uh, migrant stuff, we see a lot of corruption, and a lot of these politicians don't seem to actually be doing anything for the right reasons. That's the thing. I, I, at that point, in the, in, if I have to go back in time, I'm not really sure why these people were doing that. I know... Um, there's definitely got to be some money involved here and there. Uh, I think the, the, these people that were coming in into Venezuela would send back money into the other nations that they were living from. So I, I always talk about the, the precedence of these nations like Guatemala, Mexico or whatever it is that are coming in through the border. They don't mind that they're going to have people that are in their nation and then they're gonna send dollars back to their family. That usually, there's usually a bit of a cut back that goes back to the, the government. And if, it's, if it's thousands of people, that there's a little bit of corruption there. And all this, because it's, just, it's kind of embarrassing for me to see all these quote unquote Venezuelans come in to the United States and being sent to America's Vineyard. And uh, I, I, my grandmother who grew up in like the, the best time in Venezuela. We have never gone to any country illegally. And I was like, oh, it's happening now. And I have seen videos of these Venezuelans 
And it is very clear to me, not all of them, not all of them, but a lot of them are criminals where they're from, what we call malandros, how they speak, how they act. To me, I see them and I know these people are, not, are here to the, like, uh, they're here for- They're not here for the dream. <laughs> exactly. They're not here for the dream, to work hard, etc. I'm sure there's some good people. I don't want to generalize to that extent, but there's bad, bad people come this nation, just like there were back in the 60s into Venezuela. And now a lot of these Venezuelans, and I say, quote unquote, going back into Colombia, because, and a lot of Colombians are angry at Venezuelans now because we're sending all these bad people there. And I say to them, we, you guys sent those people to us uh, 30 years ago. A lot of them are only the kids going back into, into, um, through the border. They're the same people. They just grew up in Venezuela and you guys sent them to us in the first place, which increased the crime in Venezuela. So it's like we're trading back and forth. Who knows, maybe that will happen in, in the US as well. Um, but for now, yes, the people that are coming in here, um, not all of them, again, I wanna preface that, but there's a lot of no good coming in. Yeah, so you, uh, we, we mentioned this earlier, and I know uh, I don't wanna hold you too long. Um, is it, do, do you have a couple more minutes? Uh, yeah, okay. So Plus that, you know, this is going really well. Oh, well, thank you. I, I think so, too. Uh, so, you know, we have this insurrection. Now, under Chavez, the, you know, he, it catapulted him, actually, to this, uh, you know, iconic figure uh, in February of 92. Uh, they had this insurrection. Mm -hmm. And there have been, it's interesting to see people make comparisons to that, but also to, uh, to kind of idolize figures like this. Uh, who are mm -hmm. who are responsible for what we would consider really terrible acts, but we now have comparisons to January sixth, and to mm -hmm. what if you know you pay attention, you've actually been following uh, the events and everything that's come out since then. A disturbingly peaceful event that has now led to uh, still the imprisonment and persecution, and including torture of a great number of Americans. Is there any comparison that is fair to make to the, uh, you know, to the insurrection that occurred, you know, at the direction of Chavez? No, not at all. I mean, that comparison is absurd. What happened in 92, around 200 to 300 casualties, that was an actual insurrection. There were bombs, actual bombs that were, were you know, went off. What happened in January 6th was just people, you know, that were passionate, that were there at the Capitol, and they had all their right to be. And some of them walked into the Capitol, and it, like, it looked more like they were taking a tour of the Capitol than really an insurrection. There's a couple of keep, uh, people killed, but they weren't killed by the protesters themselves. So no comparison whatsoever. I mean, this man that killed the, the veteran... Ashley Babbitt, I believe her name was. Yeah. He has been hailed as this hero for taking a shot at an unarmed woman. This, this really blows my mind. So, no, I don't see any comparison, any fair comparison to be made um, between the two. It's really, it's, it's almost insulting in, in some way to both sides <laughs> that 300 people were killed in the 92 insurrection. 
But in this one, it was just a cop shot an unarmed woman. That was part of the insurrection. And then someone else, I think there was a, a cop heart attack or something. Something like there that. Were, it wasn't yeah, there were several others who were killed at the hands of Capitol Police. One had his heart stopped after he was hit with a, with a canister. They shot oh a God. tear gas canister or a beanbag, and it stopped his heart. Another was uh, Roseanne Boylan was uh, beaten and then trampled to death. And then uh, the, the individuals like Jake Lang, who we've had on the show several times, he uh, was trying to save them. And this is all on footage. And for trying to save Roseanne Boyland and many of the others who were trying to get others to safety, they are now still in prison in yeah. in Washington, D.C. or uh, in Alexandria right now and uh, being persecuted. Frankly, you could argue worse than Chavez was. Yeah. No, the political prosecution has really uh, blown my mind when it's, yeah, I can't believe it's happening. I mean, I, I, I have been saying... Oh, it's, it's possible everywhere. But I'm still really surprised at the level of political problem these people that went to January 6th. But, um, but yeah, there's, there's absolutely no comparison to be made um, on the two to say that pro protesters were there for a rally and they were passionate. And I saw a lot of the footage that was going on that day. Mm -hmm. um, definitely no comparison to the what happened Chavez, he was there for two years, um, and then he was set free, his political career rehabilitated, he went to Cuba, and he was able to run for president. And he was, I think, one of the few people, it was not like a huge group of protesters, it was a military insurrection, very different situation. Well, I think that's really important because we're, you know, these, uh, these Americans who did show up peacefully, many of them committed no crimes. Many are still in prison and they committed no acts of violence. They didn't even enter the Capitol. Uh, and they, they're trying to use this word insurrection. I don't know if we lost her. Um, but they're trying to use this word insurrection, whereas you have historical precedents. Are you still there? Yeah, I was hearing you, but my, my image was frozen. Okay. Um, but you know, like that—that that was an actual insurrection. They, there were there were no people who showed up armed on January sixth. People were not in, you know, bands of, uh, you know, of armed uh, rebel groups. There was nothing like that. Even when they get into the Capitol, they walk in peacefully. They stay in between the ropes, uh, and and now there some of them have been in jail for over a year and a half. Yeah, it's really sad. I did see a lot of people walking into the Capitol uh, between the ropes, as I said, as if they were taking a tour of the place. And I don't think anyone, as you said, like some people that are being prosecuted didn't even enter the Capitol. But I don't think anyone that even entered the Capitol should be prosecuted to this extent. It's supposed to be a government, uh, a building of the people. And if they did not steal anything, if they did not commit property damage i would say property damage is the worst uh you could charge them with when it comes to what actually happened there um it's really it's really crazy that this is happening and it's but it's also interesting because there are so many people that have a completely different idea of what actually happened that day there's actual there's people that i call npcs that really believe <laughs> 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 yes, the, like these uh, these people. 
Yes. <laughs> I really believe there was an intro. I just don't understand how they can believe that. It just it's really. Yeah. I sometimes tell my friends, like, I don't know if they're real people. I feel like they're there, but they're, they're non thinking humans. Are they actually real? I'm not sure. But. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. We, uh, <laughs> I have, I literally have this meme ready, uh, but you know the mockingbird. So I have a question about what do you think about the mockingbird idea, the mockingbird media, because it, it sounds mm -hmm. like you you see through that pretty <laughs> pretty clearly. The mockingbird idea. Yeah, the mockingbird media. You know, this media establishment that has created these NPCs who run everywhere. Okay. And, you know. Okay, I haven't heard that term actually. You well, you knew NPC. I thought you might know uh, Mockingbird, yes. but strange. I feel ignorant now. Yes. No, 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 not at all. Okay. So my. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the, I guess uh, you know we're we don't have too much more time, and uh, I thank you for staying with us. I really do appreciate it. For sure. I've really enjoyed yeah, having really you enjoyed on. It. Um, Same. Grazie. Uh, that's probably not. Uh, Afaristo. Grazie is in Italian, but Italian. gracias. Afaristo. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I just given. I know you have your book. I want to make sure uh, everyone who is watching in the description, uh, you can go to the links. You can get her book on uh, on history of books. There is also uh, you can go to bookdepository.com. The book is How Progressivism Destroyed Venezuela. Uh, again, her mm -hmm. name is Elizabeth Rogliani. And um, you can also get it on Amazon. I don't recommend you do that yeah. as your first option. But uh, if it'll, <laughs> if it's the only place you can get it, please do support her and get this book. I'm really excited to read the rest. But I'll just ask two more questions. Number one, how is, well, how do you feel seeing people in this country who are, uh, you know, seemingly oblivious or they think that this might be a good idea, who have such recent history to learn from, such as Venezuela? Uh, and still seem to, you know, advocate for this. Was this a failed version of, of communism? Was this just the that Chavez and some of these individuals did it wrong, or or is, you know, do they have something more to learn from that? How do I feel about them? I mean, as you know, I just said like how I feel about them when it comes to people that really are non-thinking humans, NPC that have seemed like it just seems like they were programmed and any information that comes through they kind of block it they block it out um then also there is the 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 belief that you want like this idea this utopia and so any information that contradicts that again you block it out um i i i am definitely frustrated uh about a lot of it i honestly don't engage with those people anymore because it's not productive. I, I really think that a lot of them have to slowly um, come to that conclusion on their own, be it because they have a revelation, they're hit by something and it finally goes through their programming, or it's like little seeds here and there that are planted and eventually something sticks that makes them want to look into it. But if I think that this is that type of person from the get-go, I don't intend to engage. I don't really try to argue. I What I tend to do is just plant questions in their minds. 
so they that you know that leaves with them and then maybe later on they will look into it on their own yeah that's good and then you know that's uh i think the best thing that we can do because we get in shouting matches and i don't think it serves very often exactly and uh that, that is i think the biggest failure of the education system and a lot of what we've seen is that people don't think critically anymore you know they don't ask mm -hmm. they don't ask questions and they don't examine the things that they may have held uh you know as truths uh so yeah. it's, it's hard yeah. on social media though yeah it's hard on social media because there's so many arguing going on uh so mm. much arguing i mean so sometimes it's a lot easier to do on in person if you have a chance to have a conversation with one of these people going straight up and saying what you think sometimes it's not the best way to do it um for me i i oftentimes have to not tell them my social media or anything like that because then they'll look me up and immediately form their opinions but yeah I, I i think kind of asking those little questions and planting in their minds a seed of doubt helps uh on social media it's a little bit harder to do because you're not seeing it through the tone of the person or nuance and there's like everyone seems to want to just be aggressive from the get-go mm -hmm. especially when it comes to politics I agree wholeheartedly, and I think that is the biggest dividing factor is that we we categorize people and then they're automatically the other, which is exactly, exactly. what led to uh, the events in Venezuela, and it's, it's exactly what's led to a lot of the, uh, the trends that we've seen in the United States, because I think most people want the same mm -hmm. thing, and they share a lot more common values than, than they would like to believe, but they mm -hmm. play these games and they divide us along poor, rich, black, white, man, woman, uh, you know, et cetera. And all it does is allow these binary, same people to, uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and so, you know, there's a lot of navel gazing going on in the first world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well said. Well, I'll give you uh, the final word, Elizabeth. I really appreciate you coming on here. Uh, thank you uh, for having me. Oh, it was a pleasure. And I'd definitely like to have you back. Uh, again, the book is how thank progressivism you. destroyed Venezuela. A cautionary tale please go get that book in the description i will uh definitely be reaching out once i've read the rest of it uh, but i'll give you the final it's word and then uh go ahead i'll i'll just say that it's available on hardback paperback and also uh digital form now in 2022 because it was only uh hardback last year awesome well i'll give you uh mm -hmm. i'll give you the last word and uh you know just I'll, I'll leave it to you because you're highly intelligent. So, uh, but then I'd also like oh, to pray you. with you. I'd like to pray with you before, if that's all right with you. Yeah, that, uh, that would be awesome. Yeah, we end every show with prayer, I don't know so. what else to say. I think, I think uh, I've said most of what I needed to say. I, I, I guess I would just say, you know, never take things for granted. Um, you always have to nurture what you have. And, but also learning is important all of your life. Don't think that you know all of the answers. I try to practice that myself, even though sometimes I get a little bit uh, uh, hard-headed. with <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Well, with our heritage, it's easy. You know, we're the fiery uh, exactly. Europeans, right? Well, yeah. uh, well, thank you again. Uh, and thank you for that. I think that's spot on. Uh, so I'll pray, and then I'll let you get back to your evening. Thank you. So, Father God, I just want to—I want to thank you for uh, for brilliant young minds like Elizabeth. I want to thank you for her speaking truth and for uh, having the courage and 
the wisdom to speak out and to share her experiences so that she may influence others to learn from history. I pray that young people all over this country who have been blinded by this ideology, who have adopted these lies from the Mockingbird media, from this establishment that wishes to use us and divide us along any line that they can for their own aims, that wishes to destroy this country. I just pray that millions of young people here and abroad, that they hear this broadcast, they hear uh, Elizabeth's message, and that they read her book, and they are awakened to seek truth for their own and to see through the lies, to see through uh, what we are told reality is. I pray for all those who are suffering from the effects of some of these ideologies. I pray for those who are confused and who are divided and filled with hatred, that they may uh, have their hearts filled and they may see their fellow Americans and their fellow people as, as equals and be able to love them and to experience joy. And I just pray that this uh, this nonsense comes to an end. And I pray that more people are inspired to stand up and to speak and c to create uh, as Elizabeth is. I pray for people in Venezuela. I know they are suffering. I pay pray for people in Ukraine and Russia and for all those in the United States, for those children who are being affected, who are being displaced, who are being trafficked. I just pray that this truth reaches everyone and we may put an end to this as Americans and as people in your kingdom, Lord. I wish Elizabeth health Amen. and success and that she may continue through her endeavors and complete school and uh, go on to bigger and better things and that the blessings that you have given her uh, reach and, and touch and inspire people all over the world. So we thank you for leaders like Elizabeth and we thank you for our wonderful audience and for having this platform. And we are so, so grateful. In the Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Elizabeth, thank you again. It was really a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. Thank uh, you. I'm really grateful to be here today. It was our pleasure. God bless you and have a great night. You too. Bye. All right, guys. Well, that was one of my favorite conversations I've had in a long time. Uh, and I'm going to encourage all of you again. I, I made it regrettably only partway through but uh again the book is how progressivism destroyed venezuela a cautionary tear uh, a cautionary tale her name is elizabeth rogliani that's r-o-g-l-i-a-n-i -I. uh please go check out the links in the description get her books and uh share this with with especially young people i know a lot of students she mentioned that she's lost a lot of friends and i have too because the indoctrination that we all suffered you know particularly in universities and the one that I went, uh, it's, it's very sophisticated now, and there's an intense amount of pressure. And it is up to us to speak truth and to be willing to be calm and to have those conversations because the future of this nation and so many lives are truly at stake if we do nothing. And I just hope that all of you turn to, uh, you know, turn to your higher calling and look at yourself in the mirror and ask if you're willing to uh, step out and to speak and to share truth as much as Elizabeth is. We are very, very blessed that we have young people like that. And, uh, you know, she's, I believe, about my age, but there are many more who are awakening to the division and the lies that have been pulled over our eyes for most of our lives. And I just ask that all of you choose to be an ambassador of truth.
We have an amazing platform and we're blessed to here. But social media has changed the game. Uh, we have in the ticker, we are the news now. And that's very true. Because the Mockingbird media, these NPCs, they are now a minority. People see the truth of the stolen election. They see the truth that those who claim uh, noble causes for wanting to allow these people into our country, for wanting to give out all these free things, saying that the green agenda is the only priority we have as Americans suffer, as we suffer gas shortages, as people are struggling to feed their families. They see that they are speaking through crocodile teeth, that these are not good promises. These are empty words, and most of them come from empty hearts. So thank you very much all for being here tonight. We will see you tomorrow. We have fun Friday tomorrow, so we're going to have a lot of fun, and we've got a lot of news stories. Uh, so don't let the mainstream media and these absolute fools convince you uh, to be afraid and don't convince you to stay silent. We have more power than we realize, and I'm grateful to be able to uh, speak to all of you here, and we're very grateful for all of you who are awake and are doing this good work. So uh, go get Elizabeth's book. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless you all, and God bless America. If you want to watch Conservative Daily Podcast, we go live Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and 4 p.m. Mountain Time. You can find us live at conservative-daily.com, on Rumble, on Frank's Beach, where we go live on Lindell TV 2 at those same times, on DLive, and now on Odyssey. You can also find our episodes at brighteon.com. Make sure you also check out the link in the description to go to the Brighteon store and prepare you and your family with the awesome storable food and other products that they have there. You can find us on the audio edition at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Podbean, Audible, and everywhere else. Make sure you go and give us a five-star review and be that ambassador of truth. Share this episode with everyone who needs to hear it. Text the word FREEDOM to 89517 and we'll shoot you a text message when we're about to go live. Check out the description for our link to the daily newsletter so you get access to the fax blasts. We want to thank you for being a listener of Conservative Daily Podcast as we pursue truth and fight to restore our nation. We will continue to provide you with the most important information that the mainstream media will not show you. Now at conservative-daily.com, you have the option to become a member with us. Each membership option varies in access and discounts in regards to the ability to interact with the Daily Facts Blasts, monthly savings, access to extra content, and interactions with the hosts and guests of the show. Go to conservative-daily.com and become a member right now for as little as $10 a month. Make sure you check out social media and find us everywhere at Conservative Daily and at Joel Oltman. We'll see you next time on Conservative Daily Podcast. It's time to do the hard work. Let's take our country back, patriots. God bless America.